Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, once again, happy Easter, everyone. We gather today and all around the world to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And I think for many of us, actually I believe for all of us, it would be shocking if someone rose from the dead. But if we look at this passage from Galatians chapter 3, perhaps you might see something even more shocking. We covered this much last week, which is the idea that Jesus became a curse for us. And therefore, when we are in Christ and we believe in him, we ourselves do not bear the weight of the curse and punishment of sin. That's an infinite blessing. And as much as we think the physical resurrection of Christ is supreme, actually even far greater is the, the full resurrection of Christ in doing away with the curse of sin and bringing us with him into salvation forever, eternally, that's a far greater miracle, you could say, that one is but a reflection of the true reality of the other, meaning the physical resurrection of Jesus is a reflection of the full spiritual resurrection that we have in Christ. That's what we celebrate on Easter. That's what we remembered on Good Friday. And this passage shows us that because of the resurrection of Christ, because of the work of Christ, because Jesus became sin for us and a curse for us, there are these two wonderful Easter promises. I don't know if you noticed that in verse 14. First, there is good news for the whole world, as we see in verse 14. And second, we have the promised Holy Spirit who empowers us now to live by faith according to the second part of verse 14. So you see those two so that's? <laughs> it's, it really points us to these promises. So I want to look at each one of those wondrous promises, Easter promises that we receive because Jesus became a curse for us. First, let's look at this good news for the world in verse 14. Again, we can't fully realize how spectacular and significant the resurrection of Christ is until we grapple with his death, which is why we spent so much time going through God's word and reflecting on the fullness of what it meant for Jesus to die, to bear the curse, the punishment for our sin. And unless we get that, verse 14 really won't make an impact for any one of us. We see this again in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 
Think of it this way. When you come to church or you're singing these songs, do you throw in some curse words in the middle of it? Can you imagine if we're singing and you hear someone cursing out loud during these songs? Or if I'm preaching and I'm cursing while I'm preaching, what would be your impression? You would think that would be diabolical, devilish, satanic, blasphemous. It's not supposed to go together. You're not supposed to say, curse your mother and father. That's not how it's supposed to be. But then we go to verse 13 and we see that's exactly what happens. Paul's actually saying Jesus became a curse. So when we hear Jesus' name taken in vain, you go into the world from coworkers, you go to a ball game, you go to the, the supermarket, and you hear someone curse with Jesus' name in it. And if you're a Christian, that should bother you. There should be something that says, literally like the, the fingernails on a chalkboard, when you hear Jesus' name taken in vain, it should really cause you to cringe. Paul is saying in verse 13, this is exactly how it is. Jesus' name is being cursed. And he's saying, that's what saves us. That's what brings us into God's family is Christ, God the Son, became a curse. Now that's this mocking that we heard on Friday. And it's, again, meant to cause us to be really struck with something disturbing. So our sensitivities should be struck. We should be, remember Peter when, he, when Jesus said, I need to suffer. The, the son of God needs to suffer. And, Jesus, and Peter comes up and he jumps up and he says, no, may it not be. It's in some way how we should feel when Jesus' name is being cursed. And so when Paul is saying, Jesus became the curse of the law, he became a curse for us. We should be jumping up with Peter and saying, no, may it not be. That's not how it's supposed to be. God, the all-powerful one, should not submit himself to that, should not be mocked. God will not be mocked. But only when we see just how low Jesus' death was can we really appreciate the exaltation of the resurrection. Only then can we also then die to ourselves. And like our Savior, only then can we truly live. We've been learning in our uh, Sonship Discipleship group this idea that we all have a, a favorite person in our lives, just the person you love the most. You know who you love the most? Not your wife, not your husband, not your son, not your daughter, not your mom, not your dad, not your best friend. No, you love yourself the most. If we're really honest with ourselves, that's our lover. It's the person we, he or she is our beloved. When you write a card, you should write it to yourself. Write a big, long love letter to yourself because actually that's what we do all the time. We write our cards. We write our love letters. We love ourselves with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love ourselves more than we love our neighbor. And really, it's an inversion of the greatest commandments. And when we truly get that, when we examine our self-centered, sinful self, that that 
love for ourselves keeps us from really being whom God created us to be, which is in his image. Not in our own image, but in his image. Jesus makes this so clear in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Now you read that passage from Jesus and you think, what does it mean to lose your life? We might say we need to die for Jesus physically. But most of us will not physically die for Jesus. And Jesus knows that. In fact, he's not even asking of that for us to all literally jump off a cliff for Jesus. Maybe, sometimes that might be the case, but rarely for most of us. But for all of us, he is saying we need to be willing to die to ourselves for him. And that death is hard. Death is painful. Death is grievous. Death is very, very difficult but we have to die to ourselves. And when that happens, and by the way, that happens as I hope you'll see pretty regularly in our lives, get ready because in that process, there's mourning, there's a fight, there's an unwillingness to yield, and it's difficult. For those who know Johnny Erickson Tata's story, you know she was a, a, um, a teenager, had a diving accident, became a quadriplegic for the rest of her life but also through that incredible suffering and pain, God has used her tremendously to bring the gospel to so many, both to people who are abled, but to the many who are disabled. And through, those, through that disability, she has shown the glory of Christ and his suffering to so many with disability. And she really has shown forth the, the resurrection power of Christ. You can sort of imagine this in the early years of that accident. It was very dark. These were really trying times for her. It was a lot of grieving and sorrows and struggling with God and with uh, just life. Really, it was a death to herself, to her dreams. And she tells the story pretty quickly after her accident and after a little bit of recovery where she's wallowing in all sorts of sorrows. Her friends come and pick her up, and to cheer her up, they take her out. And she describes it this way. One night, a few young life friends who like to sing picked me up for a late night drive into Baltimore City. We ended up downtown at the railway station, a massive structure with travertine floors, marble columns, and vaulted ceilings. We found a corner and started harmonizing our voices, echoing throughout the station. An officious-looking guard approached and ordered us out of the building. See that no loitering sign? It's 11 p.m. and you kids don't belong here, he barked. Then he pointed at me. And you, put that wheelchair back where you found it, right now. But sir, I insisted, it's mine. He told me not to give him any lip and to put it right back away. 
When our little group started laughing, he realized his error. That night, when my friends got me home, one kneeled beside my chair. Johnny, that's the first time I've ever heard you call it my wheelchair. Thank you for doing that. You're helping me own my problems too. You know, it was at that point in her life where she began to understand the resurrection. The dying to what was, the dreams of your life, the expectations, the longings, the hopes. And when all of that dies, and when you believe in Christ, a new life begins. Resurrection power. Dying to herself, as her friend pointed out, would now help so many others live. And in that way, Johnny and so many like her understands that dying isn't just about you living, but about allowing others to live through you. Exactly what Jesus has done today is that when we believe in Jesus, we know that that resurrection power helps others to live when we die. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. and You see it so clearly. Christ bought us back, redeemed us, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, it's a very important phrase right there, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Jesus becoming cursed on that tree had a profound impact. In Christ Jesus, who receives the blessings of Abraham? All the promises of God. That scripture lays out for us. Who receives that? The Gentiles. Who's a Gentile in this room? I think most of you are. Unless any of you here have Jewish lineage, most of you receives blessings of Abraham, not because of blood based on your direct DNA from Abraham, but rather because of your spiritual DNA through Christ. Because Jesus became the curse for you. And so, really, the whole world gets to benefit from the blessings of Jesus becoming a curse. All the promises. We would be welcomed into his family as sons and daughters because of all that Christ has done. Now, I want you to think of it this way. It's like, think of a, a clogged drain. And I know many of us have had that in your sink. And if you have... I have a lot of women in my family. They have really long hair. And they, there's, this, um, there's a sink. And when, after numbers of years, that sink gets clogged. And I, I, we bought a little, uh, if you go on Amazon, you can buy these little, little mini snakes. And had to unclog that drain. And if you pull it up, it's, it's like hair this much. It's, it's really, really big with all sorts of gook and junk. But before that, that drain is completely clogged, and so water does not go down at all. I want you to think of our hearts that way. Spiritually speaking, there is a clog so great after years and years of all sorts of garbage, junk, spiritually speaking, that is clogging our hearts. Nothing will get through that clog. Nothing. It took something dramatic. It takes intervention. It took something so 
disgusting to clear out that which is disgusting. It took Jesus becoming a curse. And that cross, Jesus bearing that cross for us, bearing, bearing the curse of God, is what allows the resurrection power to burst through the darkest of hearts so that no one is beyond the grace and mercy of God. No matter what you have done, no matter how disgusting, Christ's resurrection power breaks through that. That's why the the good news of Jesus Christ is so powerful to the broken and lost. Most of all, I think you should be able to understand why when someone really gets how dark and deeply dark and corroded their heart is, when they do turn to Christ, they realize they are free. And why they sing for joy, why they dance, why they clap, why they are ecstatic for Christ, why the gospel is truly sweeter than honey for that person. The person who actually thinks they're morally good and righteous and religious, they actually don't feel as though they need him. Everything is okay for that person. When they're smart, when they're good looking, when they're wealthy, when they have, when they even attend church and do all the different things that sound so churchy. But yet, what they don't have is that sense of lostness. When you don't have lostness, you don't believe that Christ needed to become a curse. And when, if you don't believe that Christ needed to become a cur- curse, then he definitely didn't need to rise. And the resurrection then is just another day. It's about Easter bunnies and eggs rolling around and painting little pictures. And, and that's it. That's what Easter is to us, a, a spring festival. Every Religion has a spring festival, but no religion has a resurrected God who comes from death to life, who bore a curse, a punishment for us. That's why we have to recognize that until we experience death ourselves, a death to your rights, and in our country and in so many countries around the world, rights, human rights are so important. Well, Jesus surrendered his human rights so that he could give life to others. Until we surrender our rights, until we surrender the person we love the most in our world, and it is not your husband or wife, it is you. Until you surrender you, you will never appreciate what Christ has done for you. Not really. But when you know what Christ has done, you can be in relationship with him. And you know what? When you know what Christ has done and you're in relationship with him and you know the power of the cross and you know the power of the resurrection, you can actually fail and trust that the Lord still loves you. You can still sin and turn away from him and know he's there right by your side and he will never let you go. It's it's really remarkable. The more you truly cherish Christ, the more you understand your failures. The more you understand your failures, the more you realize how much God loves you because he still loves you despite the failures, which makes you sing all the more of what Christ has done. You know the cross so thoroughly and you know that you are loved and accepted because of that cross. And that is powerful. But you don't get there by yourself. You know how you get there? 
the second fruit, the second response of Jesus becoming a curse for us is that the Holy Spirit shows you. You have the Spirit of God, the third person of the triune Godhead, empowering you to remember all that Christ has done. To empower you to know that when you turn away from Him and rebel and fail and love your loved one the most, you, that the prompting of the Spirit convicts you of sin and says, don't forget He gave His life for you. And you remember and you confess and you repent and you turn and you change. Look at verse 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming cursed for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The the second promise, the spirit of God is with you. Another so that shows you how by faith in Christ, in light of this death and resurrection, you can walk by faith. It is possible. We can obey. We want to be different in relationship to others. We look at the loved one in our life, me, and we say, loved one, you're not, you're only special because Jesus gave his life, but not in yourself, not in your own intellect, your own power, your own strategies, your own wealth, your own plans, your own health. You're not that significant. And so therefore, I yield, I surrender. I can forgive, I can press on. When someone wrongs me, I will forgive. We desire to reconcile with others. Even when we think they're wrong, we're merciful to the lost. We fight the pressures of our world to conform to its ideals. How can we do this? Because the Holy Spirit empowers us by faith. There's no way you and I, by our willpower, can fight sin. Anyone who has ever sinned knows this to be true. You know, I I tell you, without that Holy Spirit power, you can't love Christ more than yourself. It's just not possible. The flesh is way too strong. And if you are a believer of Christ, you know this to be true. You know, Sometimes when I get into a conflict, let's say with my wife, it happens actually. It even happened this week. And in the middle of it, you know, a couple of things happen. One, I feel like I'm right. I know I'm right. My heart is. I feel I'm, I know I'm right. I know she's wrong. And there is something so powerful about the flesh. It just says, do not yield. If you yield right now, then you're giving up your rights. You're giving up everything to this person and remember you love me most (laughs) me i am the most special person in my life and you can't yield to someone else you can't give that away it is so strong and i'm saying this as a person who preaches about it who reads the bible who believes it with all my heart who's empowered by the spirit but in that moment of flesh oh it is so strong anyone feel that way Anyone? Or is it just me? (laughs) Maybe it's just me. But, oh, it's so hard. But when the Holy Spirit comes and he says, yield, repent, ask for forgiveness, reconcile, make the initiatory step, do not buy into the lie. That's the deception of your heart 
and the enemy pouring in everything within you to say, that person's wrong, they've hurt you, they've done damage, you don't need to yield. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he fills you, he transforms you, he gives you a gift, it's called faith. He says, even though you cannot see it right now, if you are simply to yield and not give into your anger, but instead forgive, show mercy, show kindness, show compassion, God will pour out his spirit upon you and he will change you and he will show you joy. He will free you. He will give you peace. And the Holy Spirit always points us to Christ. He always says, look at Jesus. Remember. Remember what he's done for you. Remember he became a curse for you. Remember he took it all on himself for, for you. So how can you now say, I refuse? I won't do this. He changes our desires. He does the impossible to make me love me a little less and to trust him more. And from that flows love for others. Chuck Colson tells of the time and for those of you who don't know who he is, he's a founder of Prison Ministries. He was a, convicted of a, um, of a crime and under uh, President Nixon and went to prison. He was part of his, his White House counsel. And God used him. He's no longer, you know, he's now with the Lord. But he tells of the time that he visited a prison in South America. And this prison in particular was very famous because it had the lowest recidivism rate in the world, meaning that prisoners who walked out of that prison did not continue a life of crime. And it had the lowest rate in the world, in South America. And he wanted to go see, how could this be? When he arrived into that prison, the warden shared that the prisoners were filled with God's presence. And one of the prisoners walked Chuck Colson towards solitary confinement where there was only one prisoner in that room. It was a metal crucifix. And the prisoner explained, he's doing time for the rest of us. When you hear that and you see the impact, when you understand Christ gave his life, that transforms mine. I no longer think I'm the most important. I think he is. And that actually causes me, empowers me by his spirit to now live differently. It's the same thing as what Paul's saying in Galatians 3, 13, 14, that he's doing time for all of us. He was cursed for us so that we might have his spirit and it would set us free. He would set us free from the bondage of sin forever and ever. And that frees me and you to live in freedom not bound to what the world thinks of us and not bound to what even I think of me. You know you are already forever loved and that will never change. But notice that if you really believe verse 13 and 14, then you come to realize this, what you do for him will never make you righteous. Isn't that true? If you really understand verses 13, 14, then it makes no sense that you would think something you do for him makes you pleasing to God. In fact, here's the problem is that most of what we do for him is not to actually make him righteous, which we never do. It's to make ourselves righteous. 
And that keeps us from experiencing the righteousness of Christ. That's the whole message of Galatians as we've been seeing. But Paul also writes about in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what does this mean for me and you? It means no trophies. And they don't mean anything for us. And the trophies in our lives are maybe certificates of merit. I always find it interesting when if you, you, know, you hear about like people who work for a long time, they retire and they get this little plaque. How many of you have a lot of plaques in your house? You know, where from when you were a little kid, many plaques, many certificates. What are, where are all of those plaques and certificates? Behind them, sure, there's you studied hard and got all A's or you were, you know, you won second place in this Bible memory contest or, you know, whatever the list is and plaques, certificates, and we have them all cluttered up in our garage or someplace stacked away. But that's what we live for. We're studying for a plaque. We're working hard for a certificate. And what Paul's saying, these trophies, the degrees, our education, all the money, money is but a plaque, a certificate that says you've made it. But one day, that money will be burnt away. Nothing but sheer ashes. All of our work, our assets, your IQ, Where's your brain going to be 10,000 years from today? Your physical brain without Christ, but ashes. Your physical condition, your age, your youth, your beauty, your health, your good looks, your strength, your fame, your reputation, your prestige, your behavior, your rights as a citizen, your political identity and power, your rights even given in the Declaration of Independence, your Christian works, all of that, certificates and plaques and trophies. All of it. Not one of those things will matter before the risen Lord. Everything Jesus is saying, surrender it all. Trust me with it. None of that makes you righteous enough or good enough before God. You cannot and you will never have enough of any of those things to understand the cross of Christ. In fact, it keeps you from the cross. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's folly. But to us who are being saved, it is God's power. Because you know why it's folly? Because all the trophies are strength to the world. But that person will never understand the resurrection. Jesus was mocked and cursed. He became a curse even to death. But death did not win. The devil did not win. We did not win. And even our own failure and rightness will not stop him from winning. I shared on Friday that if you really understand the cross, you know that even you were a mocker of Christ. You heard your mocking voice at that cross which is why we need a savior so desperately. And do you understand that until you die, you cannot live? Do you know that? What is it in your life right now that you have said, I'm not gonna yield, Lord. I'm not gonna give this away. This is my treasure. This is my identity. This is my fight. This is my hope, my dream. These are my rights. 
there something in your life that you're saying, I'm not going to give this away? Well, if you don't give that away, you will never understand this day. You will not understand the resurrection. Until you die, you cannot live. If you hold and cherish your children above Christ, you will not understand the resurrection. If you hold your spouse above Christ, you will not understand the resurrection. This day will not be fully meaningful to you. If your, if your work and your labors at work and your desire to be noticed and to have a good reputation, if that's what you're living for, you do not understand this day. If you are reading the news every day and you're anxious and you're worried about whatever it is, from COVID to politics to, to the world, is it going to end? If that's your life and you have not surrendered that, you don't understand the resurrection power. Does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make you sing? Does it free you? Does it, make, does it astound you? Does it bring you to the end of yourself and you say, I want more of him? That's what I need in my life more of. Not more work, not more money, not more love from someone else, not greater reputation, not greater status. I want more of him. The Holy Spirit, that's what he's pointing you to all the time. But everything else is saying, no, 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 Holy Spirit, I'm not going to listen. I refuse. It's, I know it's more about me. You will not understand God's peace without the resurrection power of Christ. Come to him who has defeated death. Know his power. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you, but we also realize we do not surrender ourselves, our most loved one, our most cherished one in our lives. And we see this manifested through the dreams and hopes and visions of our lives that we do not want to yield to you. We have loved ones that we say, Lord, don't take them away. If you do, you're not good. You're not gracious. You're not loving. You're not kind. If we lose our jobs, we say, you're not good, you're not faithful, you're not just. If we lose our money in a collapsed economy, if we lose our freedoms because of a, whether it's a government or a, a disease, if we feel as though that's everything, then we don't really understand the resurrection power of Christ. You want so much more for us. Your Holy Spirit he is the one who shows us that our hope rests not in any person or institution or government. It rests in Christ alone. Help us to believe that with all of our hearts. And so that when we sing, when we consider Christ, we lift our eyes to you. We know that until we come to the death of ourselves, we will not live. But may we see that in Christ we do live. We just worship you, Lord. We thank you for the goodness and kindness of your steadfast love. In Jesus' name we pray.